0: You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theupc.org. Well, we're starting a new series called Pressing On. It's about, it's not so much about doing as it is about becoming. It's about becoming the real you. It's about finishing well, finishing this life that you began well. Finishing the life that Jesus began in you well as he works it out until the day of completion. To do that, we have to become unstuck. I want to talk to you about becoming unstuck uh, today. You may remember from this summer's Olympics, uh, the women's 5,000 meter race. And uh, in that race, we saw Nikki Hamblin, runner from New Zealand, and get stuck. It was a tight pack. Uh, a little more than 2,000 meters into the race, and Nikki Hamlin went down. She went down hard. All of a sudden, she's lying on her back on the track, injured, shocked, and devastated as she uh, can just hear her Olympic dreams running uh, over her head. She gets trampled, and the rest of the pack moves on up the track. As she's dazed, lying there, stuck on her back, she feels a touch on her shoulder, and she hears a voice this is the voice of Abby D'Agostino. Abby's an American runner, a young woman. And uh, she says to Nikki, get up. We've got to finish this. Abby had stopped to get Nikki unstuck. And the two of them limp through the remaining 3,000 meters towards uh, wheelchairs at the finish line. Now, they came in last and second-to-last place, these two runners. They did not win the race, but they won the hearts of the world who watched. They got something better, I think, than a gold medal. And the reason we love what they did there is because they pressed on. They pressed on. And that's what we're talking about in this sermon series. The first person who used this language of pressing on was the Apostle Paul. And he does so in Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. You may have closed up the Bible. We read that passage earlier. I just ask you to pull it back out and leave it open because I want to talk with you about it uh, today. It's page 955. Again, Philippians 3, verses 12 through 17. Paul is saying, I am pressing on. And and as he invites his readers to press on in their lives, he calls their attention to three parts of, uh, of their bodies. Their feet... Their hands and their eyes. I want to look at that with you. If you want to press on, you need to pay attention to these same three body parts. First of all, you got to find your feet. You got to find your feet. Okay, this is the language that Paul's using. He's talking about a race. He's inside this analogy with them. All the language here points to a race. All the language here draws us into the ancient Greek stadium. Stadia, six hundred feet, Greek feet. And in Greek times, and then again in Roman times, the Olympics, the Isthmian Games, these runners would stretch out on a course between two rows of columns. There'd be columns on either end, and they would run. The the sprint would be just one lap, but then the longer distance, they go back and forth. And the columns that they could see on either end kind of marked out their lane, kept them in their lane. And it also gave them the destination. It was the finish line, ultimately. And Paul's using this image and he's saying, you want to press on, this is a very active process. You've got to get on your feet. Paul's in this race to become a better version of himself. He's saying, I'm pressing on. I know where I'm headed. He uses the language of righteousness earlier in the chapter. It's about becoming uh, 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 more who you're meant to be, more who you are in Christ. It's about becoming a better version of yourself, he's not so much telling his readers how to win the race as much as how to how to run the race. Now, how do we grow in character? How do we become better people? It's an interesting question. I think it's a question for our age. Um, I've been fascinated recently with David Foster Wallace. I thought I would read him over the summer on sabbatical. Um, his most famous book is Infinite, called Infinite Jest, and it's infinitely long. It's a 1,000 pages. So you'll be hearing David Foster Wallace illustrations for the next three years from me as I work through this book. But D- David Foster Wallace tells us that he got stuck after having written a, a book that some people will say is the greatest contemporary uh, American novel, Infinite Jest. He's working now on his second book. And as he's working on this book, he realizes he doesn't have what it takes to write another great novel. In his last interview before his untimely death, David Foster Wallace told a French journalist that he was looking for something, he was reaching for something, that he envied something. He says he didn't need technical abilities or special talents. What he envied and coveted were, quote, qualities of human beings. Qualities. Capacities of spirit. This caught my attention. What he's saying is, yeah, I know how to write. I can do it really well, technically. But what I don't have is the character. I'm not sure that I am the kind of person that I would need to be to say what I really think needs to be said to the American culture at this point in time. And so he tells this interviewer he's been reading uh, religious writers. He's been reading Rousseau, Catholic. He's been reading Dostoevsky and St. Paul. Wallace is reading St. Paul. Why? Because St. Paul knows all about capacities of spirit. David Foster Wallace, if you know anything about him, is the king of irony and uh, deconstruction. He's very postmodern. He has made a career out of ridiculing sentimentality. And he's brilliant at doing it. But what he had come to believe towards the end of his life is that irony in American culture had run its course, and we needed something else. It's kind of old stuff. If you want to see the shift in American culture, just think about the shift from David Letterman, very ironic, to Jimmy Fallon, very sweet and innocent and authentic. This is the way we're moving as a culture. Wallace saw this, and he wants to uh, contribute to that, but he doesn't feel he has the qualities of spirit to say anything constructive. I think what he's really doing is he wants something to love, not just something to debunk. He wants to know, what is worthy of my love, and how could I love it well? Qualities of spirit. Well, the Apostle Paul knows something about this. This this language of pressing on, is racing language, it gets you out of your seat, onto your feet, and says, let's go, let's run, let's move through, let's be intentional. The word press on is an active word. But there is still a question about feet here. There's a question of what I would call a standing. What are you standing on? What are you you standing on? Uh, Are you standing just on your stuff? Or are you standing on Jesus Christ and what he has done for you? If we back up from this passage a little bit, we can see that Paul has in mind two other characters, one character before his this text, the other character after this text. I I think of them as people in the stands, people who are actually still stuck because they're not even on their feet. They're not even on the race course. The first person I would call is Mr. Already There. Paul's wrestling with with them in the first part of chapter 3. He talks about people of confidence in the flesh. Uh, there were people, apparently, as commentators tell us in the background here, perhaps in Philippi, that thought uh, obtainable perfection was possible. That you could become perfect. If you interacted with the law, your flesh means your own abilities, and you doubled down on your own abilities to do the right thing and to be a better person and just kind of grit through life, you could actually become pleasing to God, acceptable to God. And, and these people, think they're kind of they're Mr. Already There, sitting in there. There's just a fan sitting in the stands. But then if you look after our text, you see there's another person Paul's also considering in Philippi, and I think in the stands, off their feet, on their rear end. And those are the people who are, are, are Mr. Staying Here. Uh, These are people, he says, whose gods have become their bellies. Which means they just go for whatever they want. There are no rules for them. There are no, there's no law for them. They just do whatever they want. They're just, it is what it is. You know, we all make mistakes. Let's just get over it and get used to it. Um, the moral code, trying to be a better person, kind of a waste of time, right? So you have these two groups. One is confidence in the flesh. The other has no confidence at all. One is likely to be stuck in their discouragement because guess what? You cannot ever, um, be perfect. The other is likely to be stuck Uh, in their disregard of anything that's good or beautiful in their lives. Paul says, that's not me. I'm pressing on. I'm on my feet. I'm active. I'm moving forward. I don't have confidence in my flesh. I don't have no confidence. I have confidence in Jesus. I have confidence in Jesus. I'm not going to stand in my stuff. I'm going to stand on Jesus. And this, by the way, is, is faith. He talks about uh, the righteousness, that's the goodness, that comes through faith in Christ. You may not have thought that faith in Christ could be transformational in your life, but Paul thinks it is. There's a way of standing on the good news of Jesus Christ, what God has done in forgiving you and giving you everlasting life and running the race on your behalf. You stand on that, it starts to change your life. It's changing Paul's. He's saying, uh, I'm not there yet, but I'm not staying here. I'm pressing on by faith, standing on him. That's what we learn about finding our feet. Let's move on. There's another body part to pressing on, and that's your hand. Paul says, reach out your hand. Reach out your hand. You see this here when he says in verse 12, um, and not that I've already obtained this or already reached this, uh reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. That's 12b there. By the way, I'm going to retranslate that for you because this is hand language that you can't see in this, this translation. He says, he, I, This is my translation. I press on to make to, to grasp it because Christ Jesus has grasped me. See, that's what he's saying. I'm pressing on to grasp it. Yeah, well, what is it? But he's pressing on to grasp it because Christ Jesus has grasped me. So he's asking about how you reach out. He's asking about your hand. This, um, this word, to press on, it's this phrase, it's one word in the Greek, uh, is an active word, as we've already noticed, but it's also a directed word. It's always directed at something. Um, it literally means to pursue like to hunt or to chase. Um, so you don't just press on towards something. You press on into something. You press in. And that's what Paul's saying. So he's pursuing something now. He's grasping for it. He's pursuing something. And he's, by the way, if you know the story of Paul, you know he's pursuing something new. He didn't always pursue what he's pursuing now. And he uses the same word earlier in this passage where he said, I used to be persecuting the church. By the way, that's the same word, pursue. I used to pursue the church, not out of love, but to destroy it. This is what used to motivate his life. And and I want to suggest to you that it might just be, if you are feeling stuck this morning, that you're stuck where you are because you're pursuing what you're pursuing. When you pursue something, it changes your location. When you pursue something for a while, it could actually hold you in a location. It might be that what you're pursuing is the very thing that keeps you stuck. And I, and, I, and I think a lot of us are stuck. Some of us are stuck in our success. We've just been so successful for so long that it's just kind of become what we do, and it's getting a little boring. Some of us are stuck in our failure. we tried to do something really well, and it just hasn't worked out. In fact, not a, lot, not a lot has worked out well for us, and we just feel like we're failing all the time, and that's getting old, and we're just kind of stuck in these patterns. I thought, I get stuck a lot. Right, what, how do we get stuck? I said, well... Sometimes we just get stuck because it's a habit for us. It's formed in our lives. This, this week, I found myself um, going down our path. I know I shouldn't go down. I ride my bike a couple times every day. And there's this detour. And uh, the, my path has been closed off right by the University of Washington. And I know it's been closed for a month. But I keep going down that path. And I have to turn around and go all the way back. I think, oh, my gosh. I forgot this. Why do I do it? It's because I'm so habituated to take that route Unless I'm actively thinking about taking a different route, I just keep going that way, right? So there's a pattern in your life. And that's not a bad thing, by the way. Habits are really efficient. A habit is basically a bundle of beliefs and decisions that you've just kind of bundled together so that you don't have to rehash them every time you find yourself in an intersection. The trouble is, your habits can become your destiny really easily. You neuroscientists tell us, uh, neurons that fire together, wire together, which means you keep on that same path and pretty soon it's changing your brain. It's becoming who you are. There's a sign up in Alaska that says choose your rut carefully. You'll be in it for the next 200 miles. <laughs> so what are you pursuing? David Foster Wallace did an interview with Charlie Rose. It's interesting. You can watch online. <clears throat> and uh, He tells Charlie Rose in 1997, a lot of my problem right now is I really don't have a brass ring. And I'm kind of open to suggestions about what one chases. He doesn't have a brass ring. He doesn't know what he's chasing, he doesn't know what he's pursuing. That's that's why he's stuck. Now, the Apostle Paul has a brass ring. It's that it. He says, I'm grasping for it. Because he, Christ Jesus, has grasped me. What is the it? Well, if you look at the context, read up the page a little bit, you'll see he's just been talking about it, and that's knowing Christ Jesus. I want to know Christ Jesus. I want to have a relationship with Christ Jesus. I want to know him in the way that he knows me. Then I want to know me the way he knows me. Okay? That's the brass ring for the Apostle Paul. That's the thing for which he's reaching out. There's a little backstory to this runner, Abby D'Agostino, in the 5,000 meter. What the press didn't widely report is that she was a believer. She had gotten stuck in her life because of what she was pursuing. She lived in a high performance environment. Uh, She was an Ivy League student, and uh, she had mapped her identity to her performance. She'd come to believe that in order to be Abby, she had to be the best. As a student and be the best as a runner. And, you know, in in the world in which she started to travel, that became increasingly harder and increasingly oppressive to the point that in 2013, she's um, on the eve of the U.S. national championships and she finds herself in crisis and on her knees. Fortunately, she turned to Jesus. She reached out to Jesus. And here's her prayer She says this. Lord, whatever happens in this race, it's in your hands. And that was life-giving to her. Lord, whatever happens in this race, it's in your hands. She's saying, there's something bigger for me than the win. It's you. That's that's transformational. All of a sudden, she she actually says, and then I actually did lose that race. But she had peace. She said, I had learned to run for something that was secure, and that was God. Something so much greater than me, something I can't control. And she felt herself filled with peace and with joy. If if, if you're stuck in lust, it might be that you're reaching out for intimacy in the wrong place. If you're stuck in fear, it might be that you're reaching out for security in the wrong place. If you're stuck in anxiety, it might be that you're reaching out for peace in the wrong place. If you're stuck in your workaholism, maybe that you're, work, you're reaching out for your identity in the wrong place. It's stuck in your shame, maybe forgiveness in the wrong place. Apostle Paul says, you gotta reach out your hand. If you wanna press on, you wanna get out of unstuck. You gotta reach. You gotta press towards. You gotta try to grasp the one who has grasped you. This is all about grace. A lot of us are, 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 are racing to try to get in God's grasp. Catch this. We're trying to race to get in God's grasp. The apostle Paul says, no, I'm already in his grasp. I'm racing out of his grasp. And that's a huge paradigm shift. That's the be to do thing. I'm already God's child. I'm already okay. I'm already deeply loved. It's only when I know that, that now I have this motivation to press on, to continue forward. So reach out with your hand. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Till the day of Christ Jesus. That's what he's promised in chapter one of this book. Well, once you found your feet and reached out your hand, then look with your eye. Paul talks about his eye there. He fixes his eye on something, and two things actually. He uses the word for um, looking, uh focusing twice in verse 14 and then in verse 17. The word the Greek word is skopos, from which we get the word microscope or telescope, scopos. Focus your eye on something. And there, um, there is for him a process. There's a process, and there's a, there's a new pattern that he focuses on. Let's take these in turns. First of all, there's this process. I love what he says when he says, I've not already obtained this. I'm not there yet. I'm a work in progress. I mean, isn't that life-giving to you? For me, I like, and some of you said you appreciate it when I ex- let you know about some of my failures. This, for me, is like because I'm a pastor, right? I'm supposed to have it all together, right? Don't you believe that? Um and, and 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 I'm tempted to look at the apostle Paul and go, well, he's an apostle, they call him Saint Paul. He's probably got it all together, right? And what is he saying? I'll tell you what. I've seen Jesus face to face. I tell you what, I'm living in the Bible. I know the story so well, but I'm not there yet. I am not there yet. And in fact, he goes even further. He goes, if, if, if any of you want to be mature, then you've got to think the way I'm thinking. And how's he thinking? He's thinking he's not there yet. So the, the definition of a mature Christian is somebody who knows that they're not there yet. I love the circularity of that. It's really not about growing in virtue. It's about growing in grace and the virtue that comes from the grace. So what do we do? How do we participate in that? Well, he's got this, this process, and he describes it right here inside of this race imagery. Uh, he's asking us to picture a racer who's come around the last bend, the final stretch, and it's that moment when she's like totally, totally stretched out, breathless. And she is tempted to look behind her and see the threats that might be emerging from the pack, but she's not going to do that. She's going to stay focused on the column at the end of that stretch. Her eye is going to be focused on that. And so Paul, I think, is talking about this rhythm of, in a believer's life of forgetting and focusing, forgetting and refocusing. Forget what lies behind. Don't look back at the pack. Don't look back at your past. Okay, He's not saying don't study history. Well, we know that if those who don't study history are doomed to repeat it, he's actually given us a little history in this book. So he's not, he's not saying... Don't remember anything about the past. What he means is don't dwell in the past. Don't live there. If you're still living in your past, by the way, your past is not your past. It's still your present, and it will be your future. Forget the past. Forget your successes, because you don't have to repeat them. Forget your failures, because they've been forgiven. It's time to move on. Just don't even look back, he says. And then so these that's the forgetting motif and then the refocusing look forward and what are we looking for Jesus remember knowing Jesus is the it here knowing Jesus is the prize of the race knowing look forward to knowing Jesus not Jesus as the model because it's not enough to see Jesus as the model if he were only the model he would only be an embodiment of the law that would make you more discouraged send you back to your past you'd be stuck still see Jesus as your savior The one whose accolades, because he runs the race so well, accrue to you. He gives you his righteousness. We receive it by faith. Keep refocusing on Jesus. Know him as he knows you. This is about the good news. Refocus on the gospel. Coming weeks, we're going to talk about what does it mean to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus. And this is my simple definition. A disciple is somebody who moves the gospel to the center of their lives. So a disciple is someone who moves the good news of Jesus to the center of their lives. I think many of us tend to think of a disciple as somebody who works harder, who gets serious. It's a 400-level Christian, not a 100-level Christian. <laughs> right? Also, no, I'm a 100-level Christian. I am. What's changing about me is that I'm getting to know Jesus better, and I'm moving the gospel to the center of my life, the good news of Jesus. I'm standing by faith in him more and more and more. So there's this process. That's it forgetting and refocusing. But then there's also a pattern. And just quickly want you to see the pattern. He says in verse 17, join in imitating me and observe those who live according to my example. He's saying there's a pattern for discipleship. It's available to you. You can see it in other people's lives. Don't try to be just like me. Don't imitate one person slavishly. Look, you know, generalize. And if you have many people in your life who are following Jesus, then you'll be able to see what faith looks like. You'll be able to understand how the gospel gets lived out in a person's life as you see that pattern. Okay? And then what you'll be able to do is you'll be able to take that pattern and use it to evaluate the pattern in your life, those habits that are bundled beliefs and decisions, and you'll be able to tease out the individual threads of a particular habit and see, well, maybe I'm believing this instead of believing the gospel. Start to displace those bad beliefs in your life with good beliefs that come from the good news of Jesus Christ. So anyways, I'm so pleased that your elders have spent some time to, to identify five markers of discipleship at UPC. Well, that's what we're going to look at in this series, each week a different marker. Because they're saying, hey, you know what, there's a pattern at UPC. For 108 years, we've seen this pattern emerge, and it's relevant today. The 21st century followers of Jesus Christ, in these five ways, will be able to experience the good news of Jesus Christ. So that's what we're going to look at. Be sure not to miss a, a week. If you're traveling, make sure you get it, because you'll you'll want all five <coughs> markers, So press on. Paul says, press on. Find your feet standing in faith in the grace of Jesus. Reach out your hand, pursuing a deeper knowledge of Jesus Christ, and then look with your eye. Refocus on the good news. This week I was talking with a friend of mine who was stuck. She told me this very painful story in her life. She said, I don't know how it happened, but somewhere along the way I believed that I had to be perfect. And I grew up in one of these northern European homes where everything appeared always to be perfect. The house was perfectly cleaned. You know, the pantry and the spice rack were alphabetically organized. Everything was just so the way it was supposed to be. And somewhere I learned that I had to be the perfect student, the perfect professional, the perfect spouse, the perfect mom. And it was great. Um, until it wasn't great. Cause there's an incredible burden there, right? I mean, could you just, it makes me anxious just thinking about it. She said every day I'd go to the gym. And before I would take my kids to school, um, even though the drop-off was only two minutes long, stayed in the car, just at the curb, hardly saw anyone, I would not go without taking a shower and putting all my makeup on. Because I had to be perfect. Well, it was not sustainable. And began to destroy her relationships. And her marriage failed. And went through a very painful divorce. All divorces are very painful. She couldn't figure out how she could bring uh, herself to talk to her parents about this, especially her dad. Her mom gave her some coaching, and one day she had the courage to tell her dad she was going to get divorced. And um, she just was braced for the worse. You know what her dad said? Her dad reached out and pulled her into a warm embrace and just held her. And then she heard him whispering in her ear, this is why we have Jesus. This is why we have Jesus. That's the gospel. That's what you and I need to hear she said it changed my life not because I became more perfect but because I became okay with not being perfect and I learned something about the good news of Jesus and now I'm a better professional and I'm a better spouse and I'm a better mom because I know how to say to myself this is why we have Jesus and I know how to say to the other people in my life in the midst of their failure and their success this is why we have Jesus so what about you uh, Paul is inviting us to join with him. I wonder if you'd be willing to be intentional with me about these five markers over the next six weeks. Think about this. What would it take for someone who knows you well to, to look at your life six months from now and say, Boy, there's just something different about you. I don't really know what it is, but I think I like it. We'll have to be intentional for that. Or or think about this. Who do you know right now, maybe at work or in your neighborhood, school or otherwise, who might be feeling particularly stuck right now. I wonder if you'd want to invite them to hang out with us for a few weeks, learn how Jesus gets us unstuck. So we need to do this together. Without Jesus, nothing can change. But with Jesus, everything will change. We are new creations. Behold, the old things, Uh, all things will be made new. The hand on your shoulder this morning belongs to God. And he's saying to you and me, get up. Let's finish this. This is why we have Jesus. Let's pray. God, we're in the race. Thank you that you're with us. Thank you that you're going to pick us up again and again and again. Thank you that you're going to carry us and that together we're going to limp towards that finish line. One day we're going to see who we truly are, just as we have been truly known by you. We lean forward. We lean forward to know you. And we pray that this would be a family in which we would help one another and we would help our neighbors because this is at the heart of hope. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org audio. Email audio at upc.org or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.